0: If you're here this weekend and you're rich, you're just kind of loaded. Would you stand up? Just kind of. Any, <laughs> anybody? Isn't it funny how we don't want to admit we're rich? You know. Remember as kids, hey Dad, are we rich? Heck no, we're not rich. Joe, Uncle Joe, he's rich. That guy's rich, right? And even though we don't want to admit we're rich, and we're not going to stand up, obviously, um, it's, it's. I think we're not. You know, I think we're not really letting on as to we're doing pretty good. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I did some little bit of research on some area statistics, average household income. If you live in Raleigh, it's 60000 a year. By the way, these vary a little bit, and most of these came from the last census. But, you know, I, so I took the low end. Uh, $60,000 a year is your average household income if you live in Raleigh. Fuquay. Fuquay-Varina, $60,000 a year. Now, we know that's not accurate because they're not reporting it all. You know, they got money in their mattresses buried in the backyard. But, you know, we'll go, we'll go technically $60,000. Morrisville, $79,000. Apex, that's where I live, peak of good living, $79,000. Holly Springs, $85,000, average household income. If you live in the kingdom of Kerry, the average household income is $110,000 a year. Now, let me put that in perspective a little bit. The average household income across the U.S. is $53,000. So you're double that if you live in Kerry. If you make, make $67,000 a year as a household, you're in the richest 25% of Americans. If you make $100,000 a year as a household, you're in the richest 20% of Americans. That means that 80% of the people in the United States make less money than you, which I, I, I think makes you rich. And maybe you didn't know that, but you may want to go home after church this weekend and call all your relatives and say, I didn't even know it, but I found it at church this weekend, I'm rich, you need anything, call me. I'm here for you, Right? right? If you make a household income, if you have a household income of $154,000, you're in the top 5% of the richest people in America. That means you're filthy rich. You have you have more money than you could ever possibly spend in your lifetime. That's just in the US. If you look at it globally, There's probably not a person here who's not rich. I was in Haiti this week where the average household income for a year is $1,300. If you do the math, that comes out to $108 a month. To put it in perspective, USA Today reported this week that the average house in America, average home in America, spends $134 just on Valentine's. So we spend more on Valentine's than what our Haitian Christian friends actually make in a month. My point is this. As much as we'd like to dodge... What we're going to hear this weekend, most of us, most of us by U.S. standards are rich. And globally, I think it's safe to say that all of us are rich. So this week's message is for all the rich people. And since none of you would stand up, it's for whoever you are. We know you're out there somewhere. If you have a Bible, turn to James chapter 5. Let's jump right in. And I I don't know, when you read this, it's almost as James James knows he's near the end and it's like he's, he's frustrated. He just got up on the wrong side of the bed. I mean, he just jumps right in in verse one. He says, now listen, you rich people, right? Whoever they are, he, you just know it's coming, right? Listen, you rich people, weep and well because the misery that is coming upon you. Now that's the kind of preaching I grew up with, right? and well, right? And when we think of rich people, that's normally not the way we think of rich people. Uh, we think of rich people partying on their yachts, flying around the country in their private jets, uh, you know, vacationing on exotic islands. After all, they're rich, they're loaded. They don't have a care in the world. They just feel sorry for us little minions, right? You know, our normal little lifestyle, not a care in the world, right? James says, not so fast, wrong, He says, you rich people, you need to weep and wail because as much as you plan for the future, he said, there's something in your future that you didn't plan for. And what you didn't plan for is this. The wealth that has become such a source of security for you, he says, it's going to become a source of embarrassment for you. The wealth that has become such a source of comfort for you, it's going to be a source of pain for you. In other words, James says, there's coming a day when you rich people, whoever you are, you're going to wish you weren't so rich. And you're like, I shoveled my driveway for this. You know, I mean, this is kind of a downer, right? But he doesn't stop. Verse two, he says, your wealth has rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and your silver have corroded. That's James's way of saying, you have so much stuff, you can't even use it. James says, you rich people, you have so many clothes in your closet, you can't even wear them often enough to keep the moths from eating them. So you gotta have a cedar line closet, right? Just to make sure that doesn't happen. Laura loves to watch HGTV, which means I watch a lot of HGTV because I'm pretty much impact. And um, one of the shows she loves is House Hunters. And it's where people go out and they narrow it down to three houses. And one of the reasons they often reject the house is, it's just not enough closet space. And people will say things like, women will say, I couldn't fit my, I can't even fit my shoes into this closet space, right? Now, let me put this in perspective. In James Day, Clothes were very valuable. In the first century, listen, if you were an adult, you would typically keep one set of clothes your entire life. James says, not you rich people. You can't even wear them fast enough to keep the moths out of them. And then he says, on top of that, you got so much gold, you got so much silver lying around. By the time you get around to using it, it's corroded and and it's rusted. And his point is this. God just isn't happy with people who have a lot of stuff and they hoard what they have. Just in case. I call it just in case, itis. Just in case the stock market drops. Just in case the real estate market crashes. Just in case I decide I need that new boat or I need that vacation home. I mean, James is all up in the face and the grill of these rich people, whoever they are. And I can't even begin to imagine what his emails must be like on Monday, but he's not finished. He goes on to verse 4. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. Now, in biblical times, uh, people basically worked by the day. There weren't any contracts. It was just kind of a daily thing. And evidently, James was aware that these rich people, they were cheating people who were working in their fields. They They were cheating them out of their money. And so James says to these rich, whoever they are, even though you have more than you need, You're not even willing to pay an honest day's wage to the people who helped you become wealthy. And he says it's because you're greedy. And so you pay just as little as you could get away with so you could actually have more. And then he says this in verse 4. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. And it literally in the Greek says the Lord of the armies. I mean it's kind of a foreboding thing that James is saying here. But what he's saying is this. He says, if you're rich, if you fall into that category, you, you just beware. God is taking notes. Beware. God is watching you. You need to beware. You need to just, God is paying attention. And he says, you need to understand as a Christian, and this is true for all of us, he says, one day you're going to stand in judgment. And be prepared. God's going to bring up your wealth. He's going to bring up your bank accounts. He's going to bring up your IRAs and 401ks. He's going to bring up your cedar line walk-in closets. And he's going to say, really? Really? What in the world was all of that for? And James says, what was a source of comfort for you in this life? He says, trust me, it's going to be a source of embarrassment for you on that day. And so James says to the rich, whoever they are, you need to be concerned about the future. You plan for the future, but you just didn't plan far enough out. It is so quiet in here. You can hear a cricket right now, right? He's still not finished, verse 5. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself up in the days of slaughter. Now, it may surprise you that I haven't raised a lot of pigs. Maybe you haven't either. But in James's day, if, if you were going to slaughter a pig, what you would do is you'd put them in a little confined pen. You would dump in as much slop as possible day after day after day. And the pig didn't realize it, but the pig was literally eating itself right into the slaughterhouse. And using that analogy, I think that what James is saying to the rich is this. Just like those pigs, as your income went up, your lifestyle went up and you just gorged and gorged and gorged and you got fatter and fatter and fatter and you did it to the detriment of those around you who were less fortunate, those around you who really needed help. (laughs) Aren't you glad you came to church this weekend, right? But aren't you glad you're not rich? Aren't you glad none of us stood up and this doesn't pertain to us, right? Now, if it makes you feel any better, When I was preparing this message, um, I felt the same way most of you are feeling right now. Because I realize, I know this, I know this in theory, but I realize what James is saying to Christians is this. The day is coming for those of you who have more than you need, that's most of us. But they don't know why God has blessed them with more than they need, that would be most of us. And so we just spend it all on ourselves, that would be most of us. James is saying the day is coming when that wealth is going to become a point of embarrassment. It's going to be a point of pain for you, not a point of security. Now, let me just say something here. The problem isn't that people are wealthy. The problem isn't that people are rich. God never says anything against making a lot of money. I think that's great if you make a lot of money. There were a lot of heavy hitters in the Bible. Abraham was rich. Job was rich. David and Solomon were rich. Joseph of Arimathea in the New Testament was rich. He's the one who gave Jesus the tomb. So the problem isn't that we're rich, that we have a lot. The problem is that when we have a lot, we tend to lose sight as Christians as to why God has given us a lot. For example, most of us can probably remember a time in our lives when we could barely make it, right? We remember a time when it was like hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck, and Laura and I laughed. The first home we ever bought was in Southern California. And uh, at that time, our house payment was $730 a month. Uh, I made $700 a month before taxes, teaching school. Laura made $710 a month before taxes, what she was doing. We drove a car we bought for $100. It was a Vega. Some of you, what? It was a Vega. And uh, it was so funny because every time we would drive it, smoke would come up through the dashboard. That's the only way we really knew it was working, right? And, uh, We borrowed two twin mattresses from uh, Lars' parents and literally slept on the floor in the living room the first year that we owned that home. We had a little card table they let us borrow. We got a couple of milk crates, that was our dining room. We didn't have a lot of people over. But we can remember what it was like to live like that. And many of us can. And then one day, maybe we're going over our finances and all of a sudden we realize, wait a second, we have extra, we have more than we need. You know, maybe we got a raise or we got some kind of promotion or, you know, Laura's grandmother died. I remember we got a little bit of inheritance and that helped us. But because we don't know why we have more than we need, we just assume it's to ratchet up our lifestyle. It's to spend on ourselves. And and so we hoard some, you know, just in case. And then we typically use the rest of it on ourselves. And then every time our income goes up, what happens? Well, our lifestyle goes up. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves, we'd like to be generous, but we're not as generous as we could be or we should be because our lifestyle is always keeping up with our income. And any time we, we have more than we need, okay, but we don't know why we have more than we need, this is the road we typically go down. So here's a $64,000 question I want to talk about for a minute. Why does God give us more than we need. Let me tell you why this is a fair question. This is a fair question because when we don't have as much as we need, we certainly take that up with God, don't we? I mean, even if you're not spiritual, even if you don't typically go to church, even if you wouldn't consider yourself a religious person, when things aren't going well financially, you get spiritual. You'll even pray, you know, you, and you don't even know who you're praying to. You're like, hey, if anybody's out there, help me. Why don't I have what I need? Why don't I have as much as I need? So let's ask this question. When we have more than we need, why do we have it? Well, there's a few possible answers. Maybe, first of all, maybe God gives us more than we need so we won't have any financial stress in life. I mean, maybe God gives us all of our money, all of our toys, all of our stocks, all of our IRAs, all of our 401ks, so we don't have to stress out over finances. But I'm not sure that's it. I mean, is peace really the result of a hefty bank account? Is peace really the result of a a hefty retirement fund? I mean, when you really process it and you think about it, that can't be why God gives us more. Because the fact is this, the more we have, the more we tend to worry. I bet you there's some of you here, you check the stock market 25, 30, 40 times a day. On your phone, on your computer. Maybe you have a TV, you know, you turn off CNBC the minute the boss walks in the office, you know. You're on your iPad. And it's because the more we have, the more we worry about losing it. So I don't think that God gives us more than we need so we won't worry because in most cases it actually intensifies our stress. By the way, that's why the more you have, the less generous typically you will become. I found an interesting statistic this week. Of Christians who make under $20,000, Christians who make under $20,000, 8% tithe. Of Christians who make over $75,000, only 1% tithe. You know why? Afraid you're gonna lose it. You're certainly not gonna give it away. Which means this, if you're sitting here this weekend thinking, man, if I had it, I'd give it. No, you won't. If you, don't have it when you don't ha- if you don't give it when you don't have it, you definitely won't give it when you do have it. So maybe that's not it. Well, maybe God gives us more than we need so we can keep increasing our lifestyle. I mean, let's be honest. When, when our income goes up, suddenly we realize all the things we need, we never knew we needed before. You know, it's like, uh, it's amazing how we inflate our sense of need so that it can always keep up with our income. Honey, it just hit me. I need a boat. Never know I needed one before, right? We need a vacation home or we need a bigger house or we, ne- we need a new car. All of a sudden we need these things. I mean, do you really think that's why God gives us more than we need, you know? Do you think it's so that we can keep ratcheting up our lifestyle? That can't be it. I mean, where does that end? Well, maybe God gives us more than we need so we can leave a lot of money to our kids. Maybe that's it, but I doubt it. In fact, I could argue the opposite. I have never met a person who said, you know, my real issue started when my parents didn't leave me enough money. Never heard, never heard that conversation. But I can tell you, we can all talk about families that have screwed up their kids' lives because they gave them too much money. So I doubt that God says, I am gonna give you more than you need so you can leave it all to your kids. Well, maybe God gives us more than we need so we can quit working earlier. So we won't use our gifts and our talents that God has given us and we'll just quit working, right? Maybe it's just so we can relax. Maybe it's so we can play golf. Now being Christians, we're gonna be strategic about it. We're gonna print John 3.16 on our golf balls, so when we hit them in the weeds and people find them, they'll say, for God loved the world, wow! And we feel like we're actually advancing the kingdom, right? All right, maybe you want to buy a beach house or live in the Bahamas, and hey, but you know what? It's all about the kingdom because every time I take a walk, I draw a big fish in the sand. So people, it's a sign of the fish. It's a sign. Maybe God wants me to become a Christian. Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe God just wants you to relax. Maybe God doesn't want you to use all the talents and gifts that He's given you to produce anymore. You know. So maybe, maybe God gives you more than you need so you can—I don't know—just sit around and do nothing. I don't think that's it. But see, when we don't don't know why God gives us more than we need, we just assume it's so we can increase our lifestyle, or we just assume it's so life can get easier, or we immediately assume it's so we can sit around with our financial advisors and figure out how to save more and hoard an estate plan. And as Christians, boy, we're so smart, we've even come up with a way of justifying it by saying, sure, I'm hoarding my wealth, but when I die, I'm gonna leave it to, you fill in the blank, right? Let me tell you a secret. (laughs) We all leave it. We all leave it. doesn't make you special. And I can't find anywhere in the Bible where we get any credit whatsoever for leaving our unused wealth to some person or some organization. I can't find any verse in the Bible where God says, I am so impressed that I got some of the leftovers that you couldn't spend. I can't find that. I can't can't find where God says, I am so proud of you having that kind of faith. You couldn't spend it, so I got some. Now, I'm not talking against things like life insurance. I remember the first time I went to Central African Republic. I got to the airport, and Laura took me to the airport, and it was my first flight going to CAR, and it's kind of a dangerous country, and I was a little nervous, and I look, and there's my brother-in-law. And I said, where are you going? I was so excited that he was at the airport to send me off. But then I realized he's also my insurance agent and Laura had called him and doubled my life insurance before I, I literally, he was there, I was signing the papers in the airport before I went through security. That's just smart. That's just smart, right? I'm not talking about making sure that your kids are taken care of until they grow up. I'm talking about a conscious decision that we make as Christians that says, I'm not giving it because I might need it. But God, if I don't need it, it's yours. Let me tell you something, that does not impress God. Do you know why God has given us more than we need? And, and, and it's sad we even have to talk about this. But let me give you an illustration, and I've used this, but it, it just, it's it just one of my favorite, and I think it explains it. Let's say that you have a son named Sammy. And Sammy has a best friend named Johnny. And one day Sammy says, hey, I want to go to the park. Can we take Johnny? Can we pick up Johnny and can we go to the park? And so you you and Sammy get in the minivan, and then, you know, you got the stickers all over the back of the car. I know who you guys are. I take pictures of the back of your minivans. I'm like, wow, you're obsessed over your children. But anyway, anyway. You get Sammy, you get them all, and you pick up Johnny, and you go to the park. And they swing, Jungle gym, they go on the whirly thing until they throw up, and then they're hungry because, you know, they've thrown everything up. And so you go find a little table somewhere. You're going to have a picnic. And you packed your son Sammy a lunch, and he he reaches into his bag, and he pulls out his peanut butter and jelly sandwich made with 16-grain organic bread (laughs) and organic peanut butter and organic jelly because we're obsessed with organic things, we, even though we really don't have a clue whether it's organic or not. Let's be honest, we don't know where that stuff's been. And Johnny, he reaches into his bag and pulls out the same thing. And your son, your son Sammy, he reaches in and he pulls out his organic apple juice box. And sure enough, Johnny reaches in his bag and he pulls out the same thing. And, 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 and Sammy, your son, he reaches in and he pulls out his apple that has never been touched by a pesticide. It's organic, right? <laughs> Johnny reaches in and pulls out the same thing. And then Sammy, when he's finished, he reaches in and pulls out a four-piece Reese's peanut butter cup (laughs) to offset all that stuff, you know, that, that he had to eat already. But Johnny reaches in, nothing. Now, as a parent, you're sitting there watching this. As a parent, when... Johnny doesn't have any dessert. Do you say, too bad, so sad, Johnny. Your mom is such a loser. You ought to tell her, quit watching soaps, get off the couch, figure out how to pack you a decent lunch. You say that? No. Hey, Johnny, I noticed when we parked in the parking lot, there was a dumpster. Why don't you go dumpster and see if you can dig out a little something in there for dessert. Do you that? No. What's the one word that's going to come out of your mouth in the next 30 seconds to Sammy? What is it? Share. Share. I mean, isn't that just obvious? Unless you're one of those people that overdoses on conservative talk radio, isn't it just obvious that you share? Some of you are seething right now. You, you, you want to email me so bad. So here's my email address, Mike Lee, Mike L at gethope.net. So go ahead and start working on it. But let me tell you, if you email me complaining, the first thing I'm going to do is go down the office to the finance go down to the finance office to check your giving. And then I'll call you and we'll talk, okay? <laughs> so you go ahead. You go ahead. I mean, when you have more than you need, you share. That's just common sense. And if you didn't have to say anything, And if your little boy Sammy spoke up and said, hey, Johnny, I have four, you take two of mine. As a parent, you wouldn't say, well, there goes the whole free enterprise system. You wouldn't say that, would you? (laughs) Would you go home and tell your spouse, honey, I'm concerned. I think we're raising a little socialist. Is that what you would say? (laughs) No, you would be thrilled to death that your child understood the principle When I have more than I need, I share with those in need. In fact, my guess is after you drop off little Johnny and you and Sammy are driving home, you're probably going to look at him and say, Sammy, I want you to know I am so proud of you. And I'm sure that that's the same reaction we get from God when we live that way. Thank you, Mac. But I'm afraid that more times than not, when our Heavenly Father looks down at us with all he's given us, he must want to pull his hair out. He must be thinking, why do you think I gave you so much? Do you really think it's so you can quit working? Do you really think it's so you can leave a bunch of money to your kids and screw up their lives? Do you really think that it's so you don't have to worry? Do you really think it's so you can continue just to ratchet and up and increase your lifestyle? Why can't you get it through your head that you have more than you need? Because look around, there are people around you in need. And I think that's what James is saying in this passage. I think he's saying when we are blessed with more than we need, God isn't interested in our greed. He's not concerned about our need when we have more than we need, it probably has something to do with the need of someone or something around us. So let me tell you how not to fall into the category of the greedy so that you won't be embarrassed when you stand before God as a Christian. Let me give you three ways to give. And and before you put up any defenses, and by the way, if you're angry right now, you're my target audience right now. So just take a deep breath and just, just think this through logically. First of all, Pick a percentage of your income that you're going to give away. Just pick a percentage. And just so you know, this is why God instituted tithing in the Old Testament. It's because he knew there wasn't a real clear answer to how much is enough. You know, how much am I going to give away? So God says, I'll just keep it really simple. You don't even have to be a math major. 10%. That's a good start. And that's very generous because God could have said, hey, you give me 90% and you figure out how to live off of the other 10%. He didn't do that. He says, it's all mine everything you have understand it's because I gave it to you so you give me 10% back you get to keep the rest by the way that's a great deal i mean think about what the government wants back 25 30 35 40% man if the government said hey we only want 10% we think we won the lottery right so it's really a good deal 10% and maybe it's going to take you several steps to get there but it's a it's a goal that god established i think it's a good place to start that should be your goal second make that percentage a priority. In other words, when you get paid, that means the first check we write goes to the things that we've decided to support financially. Now here's another question. How do we determine where to give? How do we determine what to support financially? That's a good question, and I I have an answer. According to a a recent Barna statistic, only 18% of Americans go to church on a regular basis, a regular basis, is two times a month or 24 times a year. That means that there's 82% of people who don't go to church. Don't even pretend to go to church on a regular basis. And I just know from being a pastor for 33 years, if you don't go on a regular basis, you don't give. In fact, a lot of the people who go on a regular basis don't give. In fact, guess what percentage of Christians actually tithe? 3%. 3% of Christians in America actually tithe. But let's for the sake of it, let's say that all 18% that go to church at least twice a month give something. That leaves 82% of people who don't go to church to give to things like the Heart Association, or Police Cherries, or the Leukemia Foundation, or the Ronald McDonald House, or to buy Girl Scout cookies. And so this is how I handle it. When people call me and they ask me for donations or they show up at my door, I said, hey, listen, I'm very vested in my church. And where we have extra income, it goes either to our church, we support six orphans in Africa, I have some relatives. But this is, this is pretty much where our, our money goes. But I tell you what I'm gonna do. There's a lot of people out there who don't go to church, who don't give through their church to make a difference in the world. And I'm gonna pray that they're very generous when you ask. You know what most people say? Well, I, think, I appreciate you doing that. I've never had anybody get mad at me. Now let me just clarify something. I buy Girl Scout cookies. I, I can't say no to those little scallywags. I'm like, a, I'm like a mark. I mean, just one right, some Saturdays, one right after another to my house. And I buy all these Girl Scout cookies, never open a box, bring them into the office, vultures. I mean, just, they just go right down on I don't just give to the church. Laura and I don't just give to the church. There's a couple of charities that we, we support. We support the Helene Foundation, with, which helps minister and deal with, with, with moms when they're going through cancer and helps tutor their children and make sure there's food and their house gets cleaned and all those kinds of things. So I'm not saying you don't support charities, but I believe as Christians, the majority of our income should go back to the church and it should go to kingdom work. Now, let me tell you why, let me tell you why this makes so much sense. This coming Friday, we will close, Lord willing, we will close on the building that we said we were going to buy, Ship of Zion Church in Southeast Raleigh, so that they can more effectively reach and make a difference in their community. And it's because of your generosity this past Christmas. Let me tell you something. The 82% weren't going to help us with that. The government wasn't going to help us with that. It was going to be the 18%. I was down in Haiti this week where we are raising up a church, a group of Christians in Port-au-Prince to change the fabric, the integrity of those people that live in Port-au-Prince so that they can begin to change the country from the inside out. 82% is not going to help us with that. Government's not going to help us with that. We have Kid City, we have middle school, we have student ministries around here. And, and it takes money to have staff and run the programs. But see, understand it's preventative. What we're doing, we're investing in these children, these young people, so that their lives don't end up being screwed up like a lot of us as adults. Let's reach them now. The 82% could care less about that. The government's not gonna help us with that. My point is this, the 82%, the government, they're not gonna help us reach the triangle and change the world. And so sometimes as Christians, we have to say no to good things, so we can say yes to greater things. So you, you pick a percentage, you make that percentage a priority. I recommend that you begin by giving back to the church if you believe in what we're doing here at Hope. And let me tell you why that's the first check we write. It's our way of saying, God, I have more than I need. And so God, I wanna make sure that the people, the organizations that you've led me to support, I wanna make sure they get the extra before I accidentally consume it all. Because if you're like me, we can flat out consume some stuff, can't we? I mean, if we just sit and have our lunch and we wait till we're full, (laughs) if we wait till we're satisfied before we decide we're gonna give something away, you know what? They're gonna be in the dumpster diving. And that's why we give priority to this kind of giving is to make sure we don't consume it all because we have unbelievable appetites for stuff. Pick a percentage and make it a priority. Let me say something, and, and I'm just saying, this is something my parents taught me. My parents taught me early on, and this is why regardless of what we've had, Laura and I have lived our lives this way. If you'll give the 10% first, you'll learn to live within the 90%. It's like you don't even have it. I mean, it's kinda like, you, know, you don't spend your gross income because you don't really have that. You spend your net, you learn how to live within it. So we learned even when we were making $700 a month, give it first, adjust your lifestyle to live with it. So pick a percentage, make it a priority. and third. As God blesses you financially, reevaluate and increase your your percentage. And I'll just tell you, Laura and I have been doing this for years, and you know what we've discovered? We don't miss the money. This weekend I met a single mom. She said, I used to feel so guilty when I came to church when you talked about money. Because, see, no one's excluded. If you don't believe that, just read the story of the widow's mic. That really impressed Jesus, right? So she said, I started giving, and it was really like 1%. But she said, this year I've gotten up to 10%. And as a single mom, she said, I don't miss it. And the reason Laura and I don't miss it and the reason we, she doesn't miss it is because God has blessed us just as he's going to bless you. And this is important because as you increase, as you bump up your percentage over time, it forces you to adjust your lifestyle. And, and what you're saying is this God, I am willing to adjust my lifestyle so that I can be a more generous person. And I'm just telling you, this is pretty simple. But if you will give this way, you will avoid the trap that James talks about. But if you don't, you won't. It's just that simple. Because I'll promise you, the gravitational pull of your heart will always be in your direction. And you will automatically, naturally consume what is best, and you will give your leftovers. And you'll say things like, Man, I wish I could do more. Man, I wish I could be more generous. But I can't. And you'll be guilty of what James accuses these people of. Don't do that. Don't fall into this trap. Don't ruin your kids' lives. Hey, don't quit working. Lenny and you saw him in the interview. He's 90 years old. He could have quit working years ago. Do you know why he still hasn't quit? He continues to make money he doesn't need so he can give it away. And it's because he understands, I have more than I need, so I need to look for a need. And he just realized that God had given him the gift to make money. You know what he did? He figured out how to make machines in his garage after World War II. And what he does is, along with his son, he had one son who was a mechanical engineer and another son who was an electrical engineer. And they, he, he decided to make machines. And places like Clorox and all these big companies would call and say, hey, we need a box that we can put 12 half gallons of bleach in or six gallons of bleach in. And we need the compartments in it. And Lenny figured out how to make machines that you put cardboard in one end and the box popped out the other end. And he sells them all over. The, and, and, and then even when he had to shut that down because his one son died, and his other son got desperately ill, couldn't work anymore. Lenny sold off the business and invested in other things so that there's income that comes in monthly that he doesn't spend, he just gives away. Do you know what lit him up like a Christmas tree more than anything else in our conversation as he talked to me about the investment that he's making in China and Asia as the word of God is spreading and the kingdom of God is being built? He said, Mike, after I get in my church, it's the most exciting thing I do. He's lived in the same house for 47 years and he's the happiest man I've ever met in my life. By the way, let me just say there is no retirement in the Bible. And that makes sense, right? We are eternal beings. As Christians, we, we live, we're gonna live forever. 89 years on this earth, James says it's like a vapor, and then it's gone. You're only gonna be here 89 years, and then you're gonna be in eternity the rest of your life. Why do you need to retire? You got all eternity to relax. That's my theory, right? And right now, I'm, I'm, I, I have to talk about my succession plan with the elders. What does hope look like in the next 10, 15, 20 years? How long can I stay? When do I not start phasing out? How do we get the next generation ready? But I'm gonna tell you, Laura and I have never ever, and we've been married 35 years, we have never ever had a serious discussion about retirement. Doesn't mean we don't prepare a little. Five years ago, we bought a new home. When the market crashed because it was so low under market, we thought if we buy it and the market does turn around, we'll have a little extra money to help out with those things, but I gotta tell you what, it's a lot more for you than it is for us. Because I don't want to be here 20 years from now and come out to preach and I'm losing it and I forgot my pants, I'm sitting up here in my underwear and you're like, somebody's got to tell them. You know, it's time, right? I don't want you to have to have that conversation but I'll tell you this. Laura and I just have assumed we will work as long as we can and we're gonna use the gifts that God has given us on this earth as long as we can possibly use them and you should do the same thing. I mean, what would you think of me if I walked in next week and said, hey, I wrote a book and I sold it to Zondervan and I'm rich, and I am out of here. I'm sick of you people. I'm done. You know what you'd say? Wait a second, Mike. You got a gift. You should use that gift. Some of you are gifted to make money. Why in the world would you ever quit making money? You would, it's, it's the very same thing. Maybe God wants you to keep working to underwrite something big in his kingdom. Maybe it's to help us with the 2020 vision, the initiative, to have the campuses that allow us more effectively to reach the universities, to reach the people of the triangle so we can change the world. I mean, can you imagine being in Lenny Mullen's position? Can you imagine working and giving everything you make to God's kingdom? Can you imagine anything in life being more rewarding than that? I I can't. I can't even imagine that. Now let me just close by reading something else that James said. James chapter 1, verse 10, he said this. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls, its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away. So James says to all of us who have more than we need, he says, You're fading. You are fading. So learn to be generous before it's too late. Because no matter how much you own, how much you have, no matter how much you possess, you're fading and one day you're just gonna fade away. And that opportunity, that window of opportunity to be generous is, is gonna close. So here's the challenge. Will we take the necessary steps to make sure that those of us who have more than we need don't consume it all on ourselves? And will we make sure that we don't get to the end of our lives and discover that our wealth has become not a source of security, but a source of embarrassment and pain. Turn to somebody beside you. Just look them in the eye. Go ahead, do it. Say, you're fading fast. <laughs> you're fading fast. Give while you can. Let's pray. You know, Jesus said more about money than anything else. The Bible has more promises connected to giving and being generous than anything else. Jesus said a lot about money matters because he knew when it came right down to it, money matters. That's why he said things like, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And that's why he said, hey, why don't you store up stuff in heaven where you don't have to worry about moths and rust and corrosion and where it has eternal ramifications. Now I'm going to pray, but I want you to just paint this scenario. Can you imagine getting to heaven and some little kid from Uganda, some orphan, come up and say, hey, you don't know me, but thank you. But because you gave, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and I'm here to spend eternity with you. Would it be any better than that? Or some pygmy from Central African Republic who said, hey, thank you for giving because when you gave and you drilled a well in my village and you started a church there, I heard the gospel and now I'll be in heaven with you forever. Or someone from Port-au-Prince saying, I never heard the gospel until you started Agape Church and now I'm here with all my family. That's why Jesus says, you put it in heaven, man, that's, that's, that's kingdom value right there. Father, just touch our hearts because this is a thing that only you can do. You have to work in our hearts. All the logic, all the guilt, all the none of that works. I know that. I have no expectations of anybody to do anything, Father, other than you touching a heart because only you can make a greedy heart generous. So just remind us how much we're like you when we give, when we're generous. Remind us that you so love the world, you gave us your most priceless possession. And as we grow in our faith, as we begin to put feet to our faith, we begin to apply it. Help us to understand that we become more like you. In your name we pray, amen. (laughs)